Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Output Gallery podcast. Output Gallery is a space in Liverpool city centre that works exclusively with creatives from or based in Merseyside. My name is Gabrielle De La Puente and I'm joined today by two members of Radical Women's Dance Party. Radical Women's Dance Party are a collective that formed in 2017, organising events, workshops and fundraisers to promote women's struggles within anti-capitalist movements. Collectively and individually, they are committed to raising awareness and ensuring that they play an active role within their communities to enact change where possible. They have recently produced a postal exhibition for Output Gallery, but what we're going to talk about first is who are Radical Women's Dance Party, why do they exist, and what type of work have they done so far? Okay, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. No worries. Uh, Can you tell us who you are? Yeah, so uh, we uh, are a collective, all based in the Northwest. Um, We're made up of... uh, a range of disciplines. Um, So some of us are academics, some of us are artists. Um, I think we would all say we're all activists. Um, Some people come from service industry. um, And yeah, so it's a mix. It's a mix and we've all come together uh, with this one aim in mind. And why and how did Radical Women's Dance Party begin? Well, initially, it was actually a way that we just wanted to have a safe space for uh, women and queer folk to be together. I think um, we wanted to, I think we'd been on a really crap night out in Liverpool (laughs) and we were just sick of uh, these spaces, just not feeling very safe or feeling very welcoming and then so actually the first event that we did was um, a club night and we thought okay maybe we can incorporate other elements into it mm-hmm. and that's yeah that's how it started. Where was the first club night? So the first party that we had was in North Liverpool in a venue um, up there and it was we were raising money there for uh, abortion support network in Ireland because the um, uh, the protests were going on at that time around the 8th um, so what we did was we had this party and we themed it as wear something that you've always wanted to wear but never had the choice it was sort of an open invitation because yeah we all were just sick of not having a good time when you go out not being able to access the Liverpool music scene or nightclub scene for fear of what could happen and so it was sort of this desire to have something other than that but we also wanted to have this political element to it so at the first party we had a stall outside that had different zines that people could engage with um we had artwork for sale to raise money um for abortion support network we had a letter writing campaign that was part of a national campaign to send postcards to uh, irish politicians Um, And so we sort of saw it as a space that was mainly about having fun, but also about sharing 
politics and trying to have some kind of uh, sort of like low level activism within the space as well. How did you sort of reconcile or feel about that coming together of you know such a kind of heavy subject such as the repeal of the eighth amendment with a party the way that we thought it through it went the other way around like we knew that we wanted to have um a space that prioritized uh you know certain bodies that aren't prioritized in nightclub scenes and then we thought okay but what are the politics here like what we what are we doing what are we trying to do why do we have to do it and therefore creating this kind of space within um, the nighttime economy is tapping into a wider politics about women's bodies. And it obviously at the time that was very, very present um, as a discussion. And so we just thought, I mean, it's, it's, I suppose it's the inclination of the people that make up Radical Women's Dance Party as well that we always knew. And it didn't, we've never found that there's been any friction um, in terms of trying to create spaces that are at once fun and have this uh, agenda within them. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, to add to that, it's also about kind of normalising these things as well. And, you know, this idea that these politics seem radical and for me anyway it's like I don't want them to be radical I want them to be normalized and um the way that people have responded to the events that we've done um it's always been really positive you know people have said oh it's really good that you're talking about these things um and it's never it's never felt uh like it's like these two things coming together is jarring it's always felt like it's worked really well because also those are environments that people uh, a kind of like club night environment is also a way that people open up and talk about those things because we've also done workshops and we've done um talks and we've done um kind of you know exhibitions and 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 those you know people's behaviors are different in those and maybe Maybe they don't always feel like they can talk about certain things that, you know, a space where there's music on and people are able to, it feels informal, but they can still access these things. It feels like maybe it's a bit easy for them to talk about them. When it comes to the sort of politics and the conversations that we want to be available in the spaces that we set up, those have been much easier and we've been met with much less friction than we have in later events when we had door policies that prioritised women and queer folk, um, that causes tension at the door. Um, trying to discuss uh, radical politics within a space, or, you know, not radical politics, but like um, having pol a political agenda within the space, that, that's, never, that's never jarred with people. But other things that we've done have been more difficult to navigate. Yeah. How did you find your audience? Like, how do you find the people who come to your events? Usually it's through networks that we already have. Um, so it will be some of our friends will turn up. Um, I think some of the later parties, it was people had 
either seen a poster or they'd heard about it through social media um, and that's how they would find them. Um, yeah, what's been sad about the pandemic ha is that it's been, I mean, obviously aside from the, you know, the horrors of it for everyone else, for, for, for uh, events that have, you know, that have been happening in real life that have this like social element, this really big social element to them. It's difficult to know where the next, how it, how, how it would have developed, I guess. It's difficult to say since this has happened. So moving on from the uh, first event that you did, you did also previously exhibit with Output Gallery pre-pandemic when we were able to do things in person. Uh, do you want to tell listeners about the exhibition that you did? Yeah, so we had the exhibition against immigration detention and what we wanted to do was use, I mean, Output's got this incredible space right in the centre of Liverpool. It's really rare to be able to have that kind of access to passing publics. So we envisaged it as a space where, as a resource for the city, um, as a library and as a place of action. So we had things on the wall, we had, um, we had letters written by people in immigration detention um, on the wall, we had videos made by campaign groups that people could see, we had lots of resources available, we had, there was like an ongoing Twitter campaign at the time, so we added tweets to the wall. So we sort of, sort of tried to see it as a bit of a lively, a lively space. We also had workshops heard from people with lived experience and um, I closed it with a party and true radical women's dance party style. And we had banner making workshops as well. I think led, led into an action in the street um, after the exhibition. Yes, I think some of the banners were also part of a, was it part of like National Refugee Week or something as well? Um, there was a demonstration in town, so some of them were used for that as well, um, kind of taken through town. I remember being there for that. And um, we had a donation point as well. So the things that people were requesting. So we, we teamed up with a group called um, Yarls Would Befrienders and uh, they are able to get access to people who were inside. Um, you know, at this point, there was a lot of controversy around this particular detention centre uh, called Yarl's Wood. Uh, a lot of stories were coming out of there of, of uh, sexual assault, uh, racism, people being denied medication. Um, yeah, just, you know, it, it just horrendous things. Um, I think a lot of newspapers had managed to get testimony from, from people who were being um, imprisoned in there. And uh, yeah, so this 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 group, Yarls Would Befrienders, would uh, have made contact with people inside, were asking them what they wanted. Um, and so we had a donation point where we were able to collect um, things that people had requested. And I think as well as things that people had requested, I think it was coming up to Christmas time or, uh winter festivities and uh, one of the things that Yarlswood befrienders had told us is that you know meeting requests is one thing it's predominantly the most important thing but little treats little um, things that just say we don't just want you to survive we want you to thrive and so we made these sort of gift packs and gift bags um, as well with that in mind. How did it feel moving from 
like the setting of a nightclub to one of a gallery it was it was nice um, it kind of felt like you had i don't know for me it felt like there was a bit more uh control and a bit more calm to be able to fully lay out some of these things that uh would be nice to kind of carry on the conversation with or let people because the thing with you know you know the the strengths of of some of the 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 club nights are they're their own thing and they are their own environment and and that works really well the thing with the gallery space is that you have more time as has already been said the show that we did it was like a library uh where people could drop in and out and that that environment has uh its own strengths in that the hope is just more people are able to access the things that we're talking about um, and would like to get out there more. So that's, for me anyway, that's the real strength of, of having that environment because having that space, because we've just, we've got it for longer. I think as well though, when we made that transition um, into the gallery space, we then had to have a lot of discussions around what do gallery spaces mean? They're exclusionary in different ways. They bring with them different, relationships to the state, different relationships to the problems that we're trying to talk about and think through. So it just, it required us to have those conversations again. We'd obviously had them when we started throwing the parties. What does it, what do these spaces mean? What do they bring with them? And then have those conversations again when we went to the gallery. Um, and that's why we were, we've always reached out to um, direct action groups and tried to bring them into what we're doing. Um, so Obviously, uh, we had planned on doing another exhibition together, another physical exhibition together, um, as part of Output's current Arts Council funded programme. Then there was like a whole pandemic and <laughs> most of Output's programme has been transformed into postal exhibitions instead, which is a whole other, whole other format to try and... Uh, have a conversation through the conversation you chose to have this time was about prison abolition why did you choose that subject this time around um i think like with the, the uh abortion support network stuff and actually it kind of feels like um every event that we've or every a topic that we've talked about has always been something that has ended up coming into like the public domain in some way so um in a way what you want to do is kind of capture that moment and kind of take it to another place where people can start thinking really outside of of um you know, this, to start thinking outside of the, the state structures with it. So with um, with with the prison abolition stuff, you know, since, since the murder of George Floyd um, and, you know, policing coming under um, the, you know, coming under attack and people thinking about, um, you know, how does policing work and then also how, incarceration works and beginning to really question it um we we started 
thinking, okay, well, you know, this is capturing the public imagination now. What can, what can we also, what can we do with this? And how can we, one, keep the conversation going? And two, uh, give people permission to start thinking actually about abolition and not reform because, you know, ultimately that's the way that, you know, that's how we should be thinking about this if we really want to um, stop people from being incarcerated and the, the harm that is done to them and the separation of families and, you know, the killing of, uh, of, of black people, migrant communities. The, yeah. So all of these things are things that we honestly can think about really only through the lens of abolition and not reform. Mm-hmm. And why abolition over reform? I think we, you know, we've had um, systems of incarceration. Historically, these have not reduced harm. They've not reduced offending. They have destroyed families. They've destroyed communities. And, you know, there has, you know, even, even reform and even within places where people talk about um you know what you know the 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 swedish model of of prisons like you know i think like there's this idea that people are like oh you know but incarceration is better here um i guess like the 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 radical or the left idea of that is that the human beings just shouldn't be caged and so and reforms don't work um you know and a lot of people most people are in prison for crimes that capitalism has created so i think i think when we think when we talk about reformation what that actually does is it really it stops us thinking deeply and more creatively about how we can live lives better and and I think reform especially is something that um, governments and the state really want to push and I think what we like as a collective what we want to encourage is for people to begin to have a political imagination about what other ways of living can exist outside of these state-sponsored narratives. And so abolition is a way to that political imagination and reform is a way to basically pass the book onto politicians and say to them, you're the ones that can sort this for us. You're the ones that can, you know what you're doing. When in reality, we've just seen time and time again that this is not true and this is not what actually happens. You know, not no matter, you know, I think a lot of people would find it difficult to believe that immigration detention centers like Yarlswood were started by a labor government um, and so, again, trying to trying to 
uh, encourage people to think actually, um, you know, the state is not on our side and it is not benevolent. And if it pushes for reform, what we should do is question that and actually try and campaign more for, for abolition. Um, and, you know, I know there's always that age old question of like, well, what about all the paedophiles and the rapists? What are we going to do with them? And, you know, the, the grim truth is those people get away with it anyway. Uh, um, you know, we've seen that uh, victims of uh, abuse and rape most of the time don't go to the police because they're not believed. Um, a lot of the time when these people are rich and powerful, um, they can pay their way out. So the idea that this is a moral and just system based on morality, um, yeah, this system just isn't based on morality, it's based on rules that have been created by those who are in positions of power and it only serves them. So reform is playing into that, whereas abolition is outside of that. I was just going to um, say that the discourse around reform, I think my, my, my core problem with it is that it accepts, it accepts the uh, terms of definition issued by the systems of incarceration that we have. Um, oh, it could work better if only we tweaked it here. Oh, but the, you know, this act is criminalised, therefore it needs to be penalised in some way. We can just penalise it better. Um, I think the abolitionist um, response is saying, I don't accept the terms of the conversation that you're offering me here. I don't accept how certain acts are deemed criminalised, certain deviancy is constructed in order to maintain the social order that we live in. Um, it's deeply racialised, um, it's deeply classed, and abolitionism therefore rejects the terms of the conversation that reformists talk in. I think that they're, they're talking about completely different ends mm -hmm. and just because you brought it up before when it comes to people who have done very very bad things how would a world in which prison abolition existed handle those those people I think if we were talking, I mean, if we're going to be talking about the end of incarceration, what we are also talking about is like the end of um, state capitalism as we know it, which I mean, wow, could you imagine? Um, so in that context, I think that a lot of things would be very different. And, you know, that's not saying it would be a utopia because, you know, humans are humans and we have emotions and we do things wrong but um it would be a lot better than what what we have now and you know that I think life as we know it would be different so if the you know if there was you know the systems of incarceration we know were were dismantled society would look very different and um, so therefore what I'm saying now is purely, you know, speculation here, but, you know, my idea of that is this idea that people are accountable to their communities, you know, there'd be maybe, you know, uh, smaller systems of direct democracy where people amongst themselves decide uh, how, they, you know, they co there's collective decision making and, you um, you know, when someone does something wrong or does something bad, the whole community knows about it. 
And then it is down to the community to decide what happens to someone. Because if a member of your community has done your community harm, your community would de will deal with that. You know, the problem as it stands already is, you know, people that have money and they have power. Um, well, then you can get away with anything. You are, you are not accountable to any community. And so community accountability, I think, will be something that would uh, play a big part of, of, play a big part in the way that people make those decisions. Mm -hmm. Speaking of community and, yeah, working with other people, uh, who have you collaborated with on this print? And do you want to maybe, like, describe the print for any listeners? So the poster has two different colours on it. It is a really nice neon pink uh, and overlaid with that is, oh no, underlaid is a nice pale blue, I think. And then overlaid over that is uh, dark blue text. Uh, it has a lot of re repeating patterns, um, repeating letters kind of very very glitch uh glitch art aesthetic it has a qr code on it which you can access um a pdf of resources on it and we collaborated with an organization called cape uh, which is an acronym for campaign against prison expansion so they are a uk-based a UK-based network of grassroots organisations all working towards stopping the expansion of prisons in the UK. And did they write something for the print? So we commissioned Cape to write a text for the poster and that is what makes up the body of, of the poster. Uh, and... Uh, they wrote it collectively, so there isn't just one name to it. It's just Cape, uh, authored by Cape. And they have just talked about what, what abolition is, um, and they've kind of tied it to global struggles, historically to liberation struggles. And they've also tied it to um, black British liberation struggles as well, anti-imperialist anti struggles, such as the Rastafarian movement in the UK. So uh, I'm gonna take a quote from the poster here because I think it sums up really well what the aim of, aim of this piece is that they've written. And so they say, and they're talking about prison abolition in this context, it therefore shares with so many other ideologies the aims towards more egalitarian forms of society that are in some kind of harmonious relationship with nature. So again, it's this, it, it, you know, it, again, I think this text also is talking about, you know, ab abolition is also tied to the beauty of life and, you know, part of expanding you know the, the the political imagination and the possibilities of seeing the world differently is also 
you know, yes, there's activism, there's things you have to deal with that are ugly and they are scary um, and we can't shy away from them. But it's also this idea that it's all in pursuit of life that can be beautiful and, you know, that it it can be uh, harmonious with the earth around us and the world and other, other humans. And I think, you know, for me anyway, that that's what the text also brings about, which I think is kind of at the core of, uh, firstly at the core of like the abolition movement and at the core of radical left politics as well generally so yeah that's a really really beautiful way of putting it um I just wanted to share one of the things that was really on my mind when we were um planning this poster was the campaign hashtag stop the 500 um I'm not entirely sure where it's up to now but this was a campaign to stop the government plans to build 500 new places for women in prison at the moment. And so I think that really clarified and the discussions around that really clarified how incredibly live this problem is. It's not abstract. It's about whether or not the government build 500 places for women now. And under the, coven, under the government plans at the time, rather than mothers being released to spend the night with their children at home, children were going to go into prisons to spend the night with their mother in prison. Um, these are the these are the stakes that we're dealing with, you know. These are the plans, the very concrete plans that we need to be challenging. And so, one of the things that you'll find, unless I'm mistaken, on the QR code and the resources is a link to Books Behind Bars, who um, is a they're a direct action group that send um, books. I think uh, you'll have to fact check me on this, but I think it's it's very difficult to get books in prisons, and uh, I think austerity. Um, has made that situation even worse. So they, um, so we just wanted to direct people towards certain things that they can actually physically do, causes that they can support that will, um, that do try to break down some of the, the barriers, even if that's just through providing books and the imaginative space that they provide. Um, if any listeners are interested in that, if you go to outputgallery.com, uh, we've got a full page of information, details and pictures about radical women's dance parties, current postal exhibition about abolition. Uh, and on that page, there are links and resources, including uh, links to abolitionist futures, women in prison, books beyond bars and forefront. Uh, if you want to look into those projects more and maybe donate as well um have you got any plans for the future is there something else that you really want to tackle through the work that you do as a group I think what's been really great about the output uh exhibition is that it's actually been a really beautiful end point for this project in this current uh in, in in its current form unfortunately we have all ended up with much great commitments um which have taken up well which are taking up a lot of our time so whether those are like yeah to do with uh academic things or art things or you know it, it, our lives have ended up taking you know we've ended up taking on a lot more things in the past uh, 12 months so I think 
because this work requires and, and it right you know as it rightly should requires time dedication and for everyone to be present uh this unfortunately is going to be the last radical women's dance party outing that's not to say that you know uh some of us aren't going to be doing other projects at some point in the future i think we all would really like to be active still in some way but i, I think in, in in this current form um yeah this is our last um kind of uh uh, this is our so last know. output. Your last output. Yeah, our, our <laughs> last output. And you know, really glad to to have kind of gone out this way with this, with this. You know, yeah. This is like the world's saddest exclusive on a on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you know that your project maybe inspires current art students and other artists to to take up the mantle. We're really thankful that Output have given us this platform to be able to, yeah, put these resources out there and have these, you know, have these conversations out there and, you know, for letting us produce this really beautiful poster, which will, you know, is, is out there in other people's hands and that they're accessing this stuff. And yeah, we're, we're just really thankful to have had this chance to do this. It's good to put the Arts Council's money to some some good use. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for all of the work that you do and also for speaking to me on today's episode. Again, if any listeners want to find out more, please go to outputgallery.com and there are pictures and further information about all of the exhibitions we've done. Um, And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.